Hi there. How's it going? Hey, Kelsey. Delsa, if you were in the Olympics, what, what event would you compete in? I would do like uh, complaining. So I would like use the javelin to like throw at a fast food restaurant. Whichever one I land on, you get 30 seconds to convince people to like not go there. Oh, yeah. Like we could compete in that. I do think that you would win because I think that you're a wordsmith and <laughs> I, I think know. I'm just loud. So like maybe I would overspeak you, but you would like explain it to people quick enough to go. Yep. Yep. I got well, those it. are the so two my- things you're judged on in Olympic complaining. Um, <laughs> loudness and uh-huh. speed. So, okay. you know, we've got that going. Well, we could be a team then. Yeah. Perfect. From Sony Music Entertainment, this is Fierce Rivalries with me, Delta Work. And with me, Kelsey Padgett. Each week, I tell Delta the true story behind an infamous or an underrated rivalry with all the dramatic and sometimes petty twists and turns. And then I'll declare the winner, but not every story has a victor. Sometimes it's just about who loses more. This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. So today we're going to talk about two women who were competing in ice skating, figure skating in the Olympics. And I know everybody's thinking, oh, it's Tanya Harding and Nancy Kerrigan. But no, we're not doing Tanya Harding and Nancy Kerrigan today. Maybe someday. Today we're doing two women that came before them. So the skaters in our rivalry are Katarina Witt and Uh Debbie Thomas. Okay, I remember Debbie Thomas. You remember them. I remember both of these names. Is this like, this is like the late 80s? Yes, this is 1988. Yeah, yeah. This is the Olympics in Calgary, Canada. Debbie Thomas is from the U.S. Katarina Witt is from East Germany. And they come head to head at the Olympics. And they are both skating to the same music. They're mm-hmm. both skating to Carmen from Carmen, the Bizet right. Opera. So their fight, their rivalry was dubbed the Battle of the Carmens. But it's bigger than just two women going after the gold skating to the same song. Mm-hmm. It became this sort of proxy war for the Cold War between American ideals and Soviet ideals. Right. Which system produced a better Olympic. So it's kind of like a propaganda battle for both countries. Uh, Do you remember who won? I don't remember who won, but I can definitely remember this period of time. Yeah. And people love drama. Yes. And they want to see it. And especially when it's two entities that are are known to be rivals to begin Uh with. You know, I think what we're probably talking about here is, you know, the pr- not just the pride in the sport, but the pride in the country. Yes. Whose country is better? Right. Well, so, okay, a little background on our rivals. We've got Katarina Witt from East Germany, and we have Debbie Thomas from the U.S. Debbie Thomas is the American skater. So she's born in 1972. 
She starts skating at about five years old when her mom takes her to a skating ring just for fun. Um, and there she like falls in love with the skating. She's like, I thought it was magical to glide across the ice. I begged my mom to let me start skating all the time. She wins her first competition at nine years old. Wow. And then at 10, signs on with a coach. And this is the coach that she'll have that eventually helps her get to the Olympics. I feel like that's totally crazy. Nine, nine and 10 years old out there skating competitions. <laughs> I wonder if at that age, if you're like, we're going to get you with a coach, your goal is to be in the Olympics. Or is it your goal is to, what do they tell these people? I think that when you get a coach like that, it is your goals to be in the Olympics. Right. It's not to like, your goal is to really be satisfied with yourself no, or your no. goal is to really test your physical limits. Mm -hmm. No, I, I, I think don't know. it's to be in the Olympics. So it's like your goal is to please us, not really to please you. That's true. Yep. It's interesting, too, because I think that like it takes on this greater meaning because of the financial mm. aspect to it. So Debbie was considered kind of economically underprivileged in the world of figure okay. skating. Her family was middle class, uh, but ice skating is like a sport for rich kids. Right. She had a single mother who was a computer programming analyst. So she had like a good job, but she had to like work really hard just to pay for Debbie to skate. It, the estimate is that it costs like $25,000 a year just Jesus. to have Debbie competing in skating. Wait, $25,000 a year? Yeah. Yeah. How much is it for how much is it to be a roller an Olympic roller skater? Is that a little cheaper? <laughs> Maybe. Can we do that? Because uh is is like um is the roller skating rink cheaper to book than right. the ice skating rink? Because you don't have to do a Zamboni. You know, you and don't do have you to keep think, it cold. <laughs> do, you, do you think an Olympic ice skater is like really good at roller skating as well? Like do they have that advantage or is it such a different feeling that they don't really overlap? I have no clue. I bet you. I bet, I bet you. you. They gotta be like have a little bit of an advantage. But I wonder how different it is with the equipment. Is it like sure. a motorcyclist versus a horse rider? Right. Or like a <laughs> yeah, like a cyclist. <laughs> right. Yeah, right. Totally. I think that's what I'm thinking. Bicycle versus motorcycle. What what you know? Like uh -huh. it does it work differently or is it similar? Hmm. These are good questions. Write in. Tell us. But anyway. Uh <laughs> So, yeah, $25,000 a year. And this is 1988. I think about that now. It's probably way higher. Oh, yeah. And sometimes Debbie would have to stop skating for a week or a month because she couldn't afford ice time um, and, you know, pay her coach. Also, she would have to drive over 100 miles every day from home, school, and the, the ice rink, which is like, whew. Devotion. I mean, the fun is the fun's already drained out of that. So this is like a, a drive for excellence. It's no longer. Right. Uh, I love to skate. You know, it's it's right. more like we are dedicated to this thing. So another way which Debbie was a little bit different in ice skating is that Debbie is black, and at the time, no black athletes had medaled at the Winter Olympics ever. Right. She didn't have a role model in the sport. And racism, more present in 1988 probably than it is now, still very present. Sure. You know, her coach said that he lost clients when he took on Debbie because other parents didn't want their kids to be coached alongside a black girl. So gross. Right? Just I just don't get it. I do. I, I get it. I, that, that's the sad part is we do. We know exactly why because this yeah. is, you know, this is the quilt, but it's right. filthy. 
Yeah, I, mean, I would think that we'd be more progressive in the 80s, but yeah. no. So another thing that was important to Debbie and her mother was academics. They had this moment in, when Debbie was in eighth grade. She was 13. And that year when she competed, she said, I had three triple jumps. And I thought, I cannot be beat. But she was beat. She, she didn't even make it to sectionals or nationals. And she said, right then I decided I wasn't going to put the rest of my life on the line in front of some judges who might not like my yellow dress. Basically saying, like, she felt that she had the athleticism, she did the performance to mm -hmm. get high scores, but she just didn't get them. And she didn't know why. This is such a subjective sport that Absolutely. she can't put all of her eggs in that basket. So from that point on, she decided to focus just as hard on school as she was at skating. What a hard decision to make. <laughs> yeah, I mean, definitely, I feel like pretty progressive to, like, put yourself first. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And the thing is, like, she always wanted to be a doctor or work in mm -hmm. the sciences in some yeah. way. So school was really important to her. And so she buckled down and she had incredible success in both school and skating. She got accepted to Harvard, Princeton and Stanford. <laughs> wow. wow. And she decided on pre-med at Stanford while still skating. Wow. That's just so crazy. That's a lot of commitment. <laughs> Have you ever had a moment in your life, <laughs> this is such a silly question, but equivalent to you're doing pre-med at Stanford and skating and training for the Olympics? <laughs> no. Well, kind of. Actually, yeah. I, yeah. I will say, yeah, I have. I, um, I'm i not an extreme couponer, but I am somebody that will use a coupon <laughs> if it comes my way. Yeah. And I wasn't intending to get a free Frosty at Wendy's, but I got one and Ooh. I felt this extreme pressure to eat that alongside my meal. Mm -hmm. um, so I was doing both. I was actually having dessert and lunch at the same time. And I Incredible. felt like, you know, I've had my own Olympics. I've been building this body for <laughs> moments like this. And so I was able to do it. And I no one clapped for me, but I clapped for myself. No one claps for us, you know, those of us that, that are in our own Olympics. Uh, mm -hmm. But it is its own sport. Absolutely. So anyway, Debbie was noticing something about the way she was being scored. And this is what made her decide to focus on school instead of just on skating. She noticed that sometimes she would do really well technically, you know, pull off these amazing tricks. But mm -hmm. then she'd be given low marks due to presentation. Mm -hmm. And what presentation is in ice skating is like hard to quantify. But I, from what I've seen... I think it boils down to racism, sexism, and classism. <laughs> hundred million, jillion percent. A, a jillion, zillion. Right? It's For this sure. ideal image of an ice princess, a Euro-American white, hyper-feminine, conventionally attractive, graceful thing, you know, that they're looking for. And, and Debbie is a black woman. And that's not right. what they want. Sure. Debbie's mom, this quote is oof, devastating. She said uh, that Debbie comes from several generations of people who refuse to think in black and white terms. I communicated to, to Debbie my lunch counter experiences, and she's had a few of her own. When Debbie was 11, she came home from a competition to a cross burning in the front yard. Wow. But our reaction to awful things that were written on the garage door or eggs splattered all over our car was to recognize them as isolated incidents, to wipe them off and not make a big deal of it, to push forward. You That's know. heavy. 
That's really, really heavy. You know, and you could see this in like less overt ways, too. In um, Rolling Stone, they described Debbie Thomas right before the 1988 Olympics. This is how they described her. Though only five feet, six inches tall and a slight 116 pounds, Thomas looks gigantic on the ice with thighs as sturdy as a male ballet dancer's. Wow. Okay. Right. And Rolling Stone is like an institution that we look to as sort of like super progressive and like we don't stand up for shit like that. Yep. Yeah, it's really reminiscent of, you know, the things that Serena Williams has talked about of her body being, you know, objectified in the press and the racism within that. So everybody would rather label her as powerful rather than delicate or graceful. And that that's important to them that gracefulness is being scored here as well. So anyway, like I said, she pushed past this and she she just, you know, worked harder to be even better. And she became known for her fearless jumps and her self-assured style. This brings us up to 1985. Debbie has turned 18. She is pre-med at Stanford. And at the same time, she wins fifth place at the World Championship. So the World Championship is the biggest event that's not the Olympics, right? So that's the one they do every, they do it every year, but, but it's really important in pre-Olympic years or post-Olympic years because that's when you know who's at the top and who's going to be going to the Olympics. So fifth is really good. I mean, it's not a medalist, but it's really good. The woman who took home gold that same year, who got the first place, was the other half of our rivalry, Katarina Witt. Okay. And we will talk about Katarina Witt after the break. There's a lot happening these days, but I have just the thing to get you up to speed on what matters without taking too much of your time. The 7 from the Washington Post is a podcast that gives you the seven most important and interesting stories, and we always try to save room for something fun. You get it all in about seven minutes or less. I'm Hannah Jewell. I'll get you caught up with The 7 every weekday. So follow The 7 right now. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. So the other side of our rivalry here is Katarina Witt. Katarina Witt is from East Germany. She grew up in the in the city of Karl Marxstadt, which means Karl Marx City. Right. And at the time it was the fourth largest city in East Germany. East Germany no longer exists. It was a totalitarian dictatorship that described itself as a socialist worker state. I'm not an expert in the history of Cold War (laughs) or of Germany, but it sounds like living in East Germany was pretty difficult. They didn't have free elections. They weren't allowed to 
travel freely to leave the country. Sometimes there were food shortages. If you wanted a car, you had to wait on a list for 10 to 12 years. And also, the government spied on its citizens a bunch. They had a whole government agency called the Stasi. If you had views that went against the government, they would arrest you or they would ruin your reputation. And because of this, many people tried to leave, to defect, to West Germany. And that is why they built the Berlin Wall. And I feel like I'm going to defer to you. What do you know about the Berlin Wall? I, it's a big cultural touchstone, but I didn't know much about it before I started reading up on this. Everything that I know about East Germany and West Germany is based in a mid-80s film starring Anthony Edwards and Linda Fiorentino, and it was called Gotcha. And it was about a boy who travels from UCLA to go backpacking through Europe Mm. and meets a woman called Sasha Banachek. And I remember there's a scene where she says, meet me at the Cave Friedrichstra. (laughs) And they're in love. And then he finds out who she really is. And I watch this movie over and over and over. And it's just this glamorous, this like glamorization of like, what would happen if you got caught up in like espionage, but totally campy. That's my history of East Berlin and West Berlin. Mm -hmm. And that's all I can offer to the conversation is (laughs) gotcha. And there's a song from it called gotcha, gotcha where I want just too late to turn back now. Oh it's my god. So good. You have to see it. A young Anthony Edwards. I promise you. <gasps> I'm gonna you I'm it. gonna watch this. Gotcha. You will love it. And Linda Fiorentino is like super sexy. Short black hair, a cigarette, black pantyhose. Ooh. I'm talking like control top pantyhose, not stockings. <laughs> yeah. It's hot. It's eight. It's like a Nagel picture come to life. Oof. Yeah. Wow. I love that. I love that. Hot. The tagline of the movie is, he started out trying to score, but he became the target. It's too late to turn back now. (laughs) Too late. Too late. Oh, my gosh. I love this. I need to watch this. Because, honestly, I want to learn more (laughs) about Germany. (laughs) This is all you need to do. You don't really have to go to school. No. Uh, And I hope the people are hearing this. You don't have to go to school. Kelsey is very uh, a very learned person and um, knows a lot. is award winning, um, but you gotta know the streets. Movies. You gotta know the streets. You gotta know them too, and that's what we're learning from each other. I think. So that's the backdrop here: East Germany. They call themselves a socialist workers' paradise or whatever, but it's really a totalitarian dictatorship. And and you know it's sort of the focus of the Cold War at this point in the eighties. So how did Katarina get into skating? So she, as a kindergartner, went to school next to a skating rink. And she would bug her parents all the time and say, please, please, I want to go skate. Please take me to classes. And eventually they they signed her up for classes. But they had no idea how far it would go. (laughs) Sports, just like everything else in East Germany, was controlled by the government. Yeah, was wasn't she, she trafficked into this? I mean, come on. Like, there, there was, was there going to be another choice? Well, you're going to make bread so. or you're going to be an Olympian. Yeah. I feel like that there was like, there was some choice, you know what I mean? But I once hope. you were pigeonholed into a thing, you were very controlled, which you'll see. So she goes and takes, you know, classes in kindergarten. And then I think she's like scouted. 
So when she turns seven, she's enrolled into the like state sponsored structured sports system. And from there on out, it's like the government is in charge of you and this is your life. She would go to school some, but then she would afterwards would train for hours and hours and hours. And the government paid for all the training fees, that time at the ranks, you know, the coaches, everything. The only thing her family had to pay for was food, skate sharpening, and a Mm. monthly fee of a dollar. Katerina has said that her family, if they had lived in the United States, they would not have been able to afford skating. They would not have been able to, you know, live that Debbie Thomas life of driving 100 miles a day. So she's really thankful to her government that she was able to do this thing. They paired her with this big deal coach who had coached Olympians in the past. She said that she spent more time with her coach than she did with her parents, which is fun, I guess. (laughs) I mean, eventually robbing you of something when you get older, but sure. I mean... I feel yeah, like that's I mean, just kind of how they condition any Olympian, probably, anywhere, not just there. Yeah. I think that the Olympics in general is something that we should have a more critical eye to because these are children. Yeah. And we're making them like some of the most famous people in the world, which is one thing already that like, you know, Disney Channel stars, you mm-hmm. see how they fall apart. But mm-hmm. also we are demanding physical excellence from them. Right. And then with being, no mistake. No mistakes. And being incredibly critical when they don't live up to our standards. And they're like 17, 18. They're children. All of this is to say Olympics. Uh, <laughs> but yeah. um Katarina was very talented and she's, you know, was succeeding and she had this incredible coach. And in 1984, she was 18 years old and she made it to the Olympics that was held in Sarajevo. And the press called her the beauty from behind the Iron Curtain, Mm. which sounds like it could also be a tagline from Gotcha. Uh, It is. (laughs) I think it could be. That was the beta version. The beta version. Uh And um, even though she had never won a world championship at that point, she was, like, super confident. She's like, I'm going to win. I'm going to win. And guess what? She does. She takes Mm -hmm. home gold at her first Olympics in 1984. Well, or maybe she was like, I have no choice but to win. (laughs) (laughs) I don't have an option here. Right. Well, we'll see later on that becomes very much the case. But anyway, so when she wins in 1984, she she gets, like, all these letters of fan mail from Westerners. They said that she got uh, 35,000 letters of fan mail from Westerners. Because of the Cold War and because, you know, East Germany was sort of the whole reason she was able to become this amazing skater, she became this de facto diplomat for the country. She became this poster girl for what, you know, socialism could achieve. And I do in little air quotes over socialism because this is not actually socialism. This is totalitarian dictatorship. Branded as socialism, I could go on a whole rant. Socialism is an economic philosophy, not a type of right. government. Pa, 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 whatever. So but she was the diplomat for for the Soviets. She was the face of, you know, the the communist side of the Cold War. Yeah. Um, in some ways. And she was great at it. She was conventionally attractive to Western audiences. The press kept comparing her to Brooke Shields. And to be fair, she looks almost exactly like Brooke Shields. 
I think Brooke Shields sold her soul to the devil because I saw her in person uh-huh. like maybe a year ago and she looks exactly the same as like in a Vidal Sassoon ad. Ooh. Well, you know, yeah. Katerina Vitt looks the same today as she did in 1988. It's wild. Time magazine named her the most beautiful face of socialism. Wow. Okay. <laughs> Here we go. So... You know, at the same time, you know, we've t- been talking about East Germany. She was under a ton of surveillance by the Stasi, the the secret police. They even forced one of her very close skating buddies to spy on her. They were so afraid that with her success and with everyone in the West loving her, that she would leave. She would defect from East Germany like so many people had done before, you know, and they really wanted to keep her. So they kept like very close eye on her, paying mm. off her friends. Well, not really paying off, but more like um, blackmailing her friends into spying on her. If the Stasi comes to you and you're 17 and you're skating with your friend Katarina at the skate rink and they're like, hey, spy on her or else. Like, what are you going to do? We'll break your legs. Yeah, right? This brings us up to the point. 1985 World Championship. From this point on, these two are sort of head to head. The stars align to make them the rivals of each other for the next few years and at the top of the ice skating game. Like I said before, Debbie places fifth place. She's only two years younger than Katarina, but she's doing really well. And Katarina wins the world championship in 1985. But the next year, 1986, Debbie wins first place. And then the next year, Katarina wins first place. Gag! Everyone is <laughs> going wild. <laughs> they're just neck and neck going Yeah, back they're losing forth. their minds over this. Just, you know, who who's who's going to be the top skater? Who's going to who's going to make it? And they're neck and neck like this going into the 1988 Olympics. Mhm. So they both have sort of equal e- equal footing at this point. Yes, definitely. Yeah, and so this is where game. by pure dumb luck they happen to pick the same song for the long program. They're going to skate to the same program, the same song. There's not a rule. I will say, like, you can't do that? Like, you laid claim first? You, there's no rule? Well, it's technically different. So one is the Carmen from the opera, and one mm. is the Carmen from the ballet. But mm. it's still, like, the same theme, and it's the same story that they are presenting. The only difference is that... <laughs> Carmen in the play in the opera famously dies in the end. And so Katerina at the end of her performance dies. Uh Um, Whereas Debbie has decided to take it in a more triumphant way. And at the end, you know, raises her hands and is just very like, I win. So she died or she was slayed. (laughs) She slayed it. Yeah. So this is kind of like one is doing like the Rihanna club mix. Yeah. At the drag show. And then the other person is doing the Rihanna Super Bowl mix. Ooh. There you go. Yeah. And it's like, mm, well, which one do you like? Which one do you like? You know? Okay. So do you know, do you know the Carmen song? I at least know the one from the opera. And I was going to sing it to you if you don't know it. <laughs> I would like for you to sing it. Okay. I, is what I need. Just as a refresher. I only know it because of like Tom and Jerry. But it goes like. Oh, I'm thinking entry of the gladiators. No, that's that. different. Okay, that's I, I mean the tone in which I did sing that sounded like that, but this is like. Uh-huh. 
Is that the WB frog? I mean, yes. It's a Tom and Jerry. There's a whole Tom and Jerry with it in it. It's like very, very done in cartoons these days. All right, the re- the press really plays up the competition. There is. Okay. This is from an article. It's horrifying. Okay. Sensuous or soaring, artistic or athletic, dead or alive, Olympic skating judges will be offered interpretations of the seductress Carmen, as different as the two women who will portray her. Glamour's Katerina Witt and Lissom, Debbie Thomas. How old are they at this point? Katerina's 20 and Debbie is 18. Yeah, because they're throwing around that word sensuous and seductress, which, I don't know, I guess if you're playing a character on the ice, I guess that makes sense. But it is kind of weird to throw that around in, in, in sporting, but okay. Right? Sports has nothing to do with that. Right. Come on. So the press was building them up like this. But in reality, there wasn't that much angst between the two women. I mean, other than like getting excited to go up against the best person, you know, and sort of like trading wins back and forth. Debbie said of Katerina, she's all right. I like her. I can't exactly say we're friends, but we've been able to sign each other's programs. Uh, Good luck and may the best man win. Oh. Which I think is kind of funny that she said may the best man win. It is. So. The true rivals here are the countries. The true rivals of are the government systems. And 100%. the Olympics is the propaganda machine behind them. <laughs> Basically. 100%. And I wonder how long it's been that way. Has the Olympics been a propaganda machine since the beginning? I I would imagine so. And I would think as the years progress, it, it becomes this like thing of like, a competition between sponsors now. Mm, you yes. know, what, what What names are attached to you? Who do you wear? And, and what are the ethics of that company? And mm-hmm. who are you drawing your money from? Who are you really playing for? Who are you really skating for? So in addition to it being these two countries, these two systems battling each other, each skater had their own personal fights, personal things behind, you know, they wanted to get gold. But more than that, they had stuff on the line. You know, Debbie wanted to prove really badly, she said this over and over again, that you could be a pre-med student and win a gold medal. She could succeed in both realms. She could push herself to that level of excellence. Katerina Witt, on the other hand, had, you know, she wanted to win gold too, but she had this huge thing that was at stake that nobody knew about. She had made a deal with the East German government that Mm -hmm. if she won them a gold, her second gold, that she would be able to take jobs outside of East Germany. Wow. Okay. Because usually an Olympic skater, when they're done with the Olympics, you know, they go and they do the ice capades or Disney on ice or Debbie Thomas and Katerina Witt do Carmen again, tour the country, you know, that kind of thing. But East Germany would not let their skaters do that. They said, right. you come home and now you coach the next skaters or That's you get what a I would new imagine. job. Yeah. So this is huge for her. She's skating for way more than gold. She's skating for the for ability life. to For life. <laughs> Given all the stakes here, who do you think is going to win or who do you think should win? Who are you well, rooting for? <laughs> well, I'm I'm definitely rooting for um, Debbie just because I really feel like there's still a level of, of ownership. Debbie owns herself. And even though she's playing within these confines, I feel like this, this decision of going to school and 
doing the skating is something that she has decided to do. I think it's it, sh- it shows a lot of gumption. But at the same time, with Katerina, I'm worried that she never had the cho- the option. Mm-hmm. There wasn't that option because the the idea is I'm so thankful to my government. I'm so thankful to you know if you don't do this, it's being expressed to you that like. In the United States, it's expressed that like, oh, you're going to be letting down your family and your and your future and your money and your your endorsements. Whereas there, it's like your whole family and your whole country is relying on you, and everything's going to go to shit if you don't do this. <laughs> Everyone has sacrificed for you. Right, right, right. Well, the the stage is set. We're going to have a break, and we'll find out. I'm Nick Friedman. I'm Lee Alec Murray. And I'm Leah President. And this is Crunchyroll Presents The Anime Effect. We're a new show breaking down the anime and pop culture news you care about each and every week. I can't think of a better studio to bring something like this to life. Yeah, I agree. We're covering all the classics. If I don't know a lot about Godzilla, which I do, but I'm trying to pretend (laughs) that I don't right now. Hold it in. And our current faves. Luffy must have his due. (laughs) And we agree on some things. But not on everything. Oof. I remember, what was that? (laughs) Say what you're going to say and I'll circle back. Listen to Crunchyroll Presents The Anime Effect every Friday, wherever you get your podcasts. And watch full video episodes on Crunchyroll or the Crunchyroll YouTube channel. If you're looking for a smoking gun, I can absolutely guarantee you, you will not find it. In October 2001, a series of letters filled with a deadly powder called anthrax were dropped into the U.S. mail system. What started as an unprecedented case turned into an unsettling mystery. Who sent these deadly letters, and why? From Campside Media and Sony Music Entertainment, I'm Josh Dean, and this is Cover Up Season 4, The Anthrax Threat, available now. Here we are. We're at the competition. There are three parts to the Olympic ice skating competition at this time. Okay. Number one is something called compulsory figures, which is what figure skating is named after. And I didn't know anything about this because ever since, like, I've been watching the Olympics, this has not been in it. They got rid of it, I think, a few years after this Olympics. But they literally have to carve figures in the ice. And so you're judged on how you do it and you're judged on how much they match up. So like doing a figure eight, like over and over and over again. So if you go outside the line of doing it at all, you get docked points. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. Neither Debbie or Katarina got first in this. <laughs> they both oh, got okay. Beat. So other people... Yeah, by a Russian skater. Debbie got second and Katarina got third. So that just matters for points. Okay. The next part of the competition is the short program. Katarina, she skates to a mix of Broadway show tombs. I was watching it yesterday and you certainly know I Am What I Am mm-hmm. from uh, La Cage à Fall. Uh-huh, La Cage à Fall. Yes, uh-huh. which is like a very famous drag queen performance song, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And um, Hello Dolly uh, was in her mix as Another well. One. So it was like very like big standard show tunes is what she was skating to. We're talking to, that sounds good to me. Yeah, yeah. I want to watch. So she scored very well in all categories and then came Debbie's performance. So Debbie skated to a song by the band Dead or Alive, 
who uh-huh. you will know from You Spin Me Right yep. Round, Baby Right Round. Pete Burns. <laughs> Debbie didn't skate to You Spin Me Right Round. She skated to a song called Something in My House. Okay. Which, do you know that song? I don't know that song specifically, no. no. Yeah. So, you know, I feel like it's kind of like a B-side by this, like, mm-hmm. very 80s, like, I don't know if prog rock is the right terminal. I don't know what the genre is, but it's very, like, 80s music. I don't know if know? that's a song you pick for the Olympics then. It needs, I feel like the Olympics might be slightly, like, uh, the only thing I can compare it to as far as audience would be is um, what I call, like, lowest common denominator. Mm-hmm. So, like... If I'm performing in drag like at a brunch show, mm-hmm. it's usually going to be a lot of people that don't know much about like B-sides or referential drag numbers. Yeah. So right. I think like I Will Survive might have been the option yep. right. or right. or uh, You Spin Me Right Round that they would know. <laughs> or maybe a bunch of, you know, classic Broadway standards. Yeah, people know it. Like Katarina Witt did, right? Exactly. Yeah. So Debbie... You know, she proudly skated to this song, and one of the judges later said, it was very dangerous music. Ooh, okay. <laughs> it's, it's hard to look pretty skating to that. Oh, oh, because skating abilities are based in being beautiful. Apparently. Okay. <laughs> God. Okay, no. Well, we heard, wait, 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 we've been talking about I the know. whole time. Subjective nature. So Debbie gets... Debbie gets high marks for technical merit, but of course uh-huh. not for the artistic presentation. When the artistic presentation scores come up, the crowd boos, like audibly. And her coach is sitting there on live television. He pinches his nose and like fans the air, like miming, like those scores stink, basically. Right. Debbie later said, it was great having the audience boo my marks. Just because I can do triple jumps doesn't mean I'm not artistic. My whole skating career, I've I've known I've had to skate way, way better to get what I deserve. Mm-hmm. This is true. Yeah. She just this has to true. outdo everybody. I mean, and for obvious reasons, not, not that we support those reasons, but for reasons that she known. Yeah. And here we are at the Olympics, and it's true. Anyway, so the scores are all tallied up uh, after the first and second. Debbie is headed into first, and Katarina is close behind her with those scores all put together. So they're neck and neck going into the long program. And the long program is where they're both going to be skating to Carmen. It's the Battle of the Carmens. So the long program is worth more than the other things. It's worth 50% of the points. So this is it. It's all or nothing. They drew an order of who goes first and who goes last. Katarina was second to perform, and Debbie would be the last skater to skate. Katarina gets out there. She skates beautifully. She only makes one mistake. But, you know, people said that the charisma and flirtiness that she had had in earlier performances was kind of missing. That that whole thing where she connects with the audience seemed to be not there. She left the audience strangely cold. She scored really well, but not, like, incredible. She scored, okay. like, good enough if Debbie doesn't have the best performance of her life, basically. Right. So Debbie has the opening to take the gold. Okay. And, and this should have given her encouragement, but... Debbie was getting really psyched out by being the last one to perform. So, but right before she goes out there, her and her coach kind of have this like little thing for luck that they did, which is that they, she would like pound his hands with her fists and, you know, they do this thing again, but as they're doing it, she kind of like misses and it's like, 
you can tell by watching it that they're just like not in it with each other. Okay. And uh, Katarina sees this and later comments on it and it's like, oh, she's not on her game. But uh, Debbie later said that as she was getting ready to go on the and they were doing this thing, the coach said, do it for America. And she thought, what does America have to do with this? I'm the one who skated all those hours. Right, right. I'm doing this for myself. And that that was just not not what she wanted to hear going out there. I would imagine. Yeah. So she gets out there and, you know, her program is structured so that, like, her hardest jump is towards the beginning of the program, which makes sense, right? You don't want to put it Mm -hmm. at the end where you're, like, you know, tired. So within the first 20 seconds, she has this very hard triple toe, triple toe. It's called. And she had landed it all week in practice. But as she goes up to do it, she fumbles and doesn't complete it. And from that moment on, she just was defeated. You know, this stole her momentum. She talked about how usually when she makes that, it's so impressive that that you can feel the energy of the crowd. But she didn't have that energy behind her. Usually she would get better and better as she went through her program. But after making that big mistake, she just could not... Bring it oh, back. That's so sad. She said, once I missed it, my heart wasn't in it. And so she missed three out of the five planned jumps, triple jumps that she had. She lost focus wow. and she couldn't pull it back together. You know what? I mean, obviously, I, I could never compare what I do to anything that an Olympian does because they train their whole life for it. And it's not on that same scale. But I will say for somebody who, like, does work in a, in a nightclub setting, like, if I come out and I immediately sense from people that they're not responding or they're or they're kind of looking like what are you doing like if there is that it will stick with me like mm-hmm. it, and I'll try not to like the professional part of you says knock it off that's not everybody just because two people in the corner were laughing at something but you kind of do get it in your mind where you're like I don't think I can come back from this comfortably so I can only imagine if you're on the world stage and you feel like you fumbled something that you're known to like You know, if you're known to like, you know, even though there's not a curtain there, essentially her first move is the opening of the curtain. Yep. And if that is ruined, it's like the rest is shit to me. Yep. That's so sad. Yeah. Yeah. Debbie said that when when I got done skating, I I felt like I had let the whole country down. Mm. When she got off the ice, you could see her mouthing to her coach, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, and... Her scores reflected what happened on the ice. It was just a huge bummer. And, you know, this event, the long program, it turns out that neither Katarina nor Debbie scored the highest on this long program. Oh, really? Yeah. The highest scoring in the big program was the third place person, Elizabeth Manley, who is from Canada. And this was in Canada. So it was like a very big, like, underdog thing that happened. Like, nobody was paying attention to her. So with all the scores tallied up, uh, Elizabeth Manley wins silver, the Canadian. Mm-hmm. Katarina gets the gold. And Debbie gets bronze. Wow. Yeah. So, Delta, who wins? Obviously, in this, the outset, the goal was to win the gold. Katarina won the gold. They were both pegged against one another, but I don't imagine any, like, terrible, terrible stories really came out about either one. It was just kind of like these aspersions being cast on both of them. So it's Mm -hmm. not like one of them had extra, like way worse baggage than the other one. Yeah. They were just sort of pawns. So in that sense, neither one of them was really 
for at least from what we know in the media, like that shitty of a person. Yeah. No, totally. So, yeah. I mean, they were two women that were, their womanhood was literally used against them. I mean, yeah. literally. They were both pawns of yeah. governments and, you know, the press of each country sure. of which system is better and also let's nitpick these women and their bodies and what they can do with their bodies. Looking ma- big on the eyes. Yeah. yeah. It's all that, all those weird terms, those yeah. weird, like, objectifying terms. Yeah. Yeah. I guess I kind of have to know, like, where they are now in a way, just to know, like, who ultimately won. Where are they now? So I'll tell you, Katerina, after this, has, like, a great time because she's allowed to go work outside of East Germany. She makes a TV special um, (laughs) that is about Carmen. She does, like, a version of Carmen Uh uh, with uh, two other Olympic uh, Olympians. They did it, and they win an Emmy, which is great. She got to be a spokesperson for Diet Coke, and that's the thing I really wanted to tell you. I love that. (laughs) She's the winner. She's. I hate the other one. (laughs) I think that's fierce. Right? Isn't that excellent? Diet Coke Um, spokesperson. What? Goals, right? Oh, wow. It's interesting though because East Germany collapses while uh-huh. she's off doing these capitalistic things. Uh-huh. <laughs> and, you know, I feel like she goes from being this beautiful face of socialism to being this beautiful face of capitalism. She right. appears in like a bunch of TV shows and a bunch of movies. She's on Frasier and on Jerry Maguire. Understudy for Linda Fiorentino in Gotcha. Absolutely. <laughs> What about uh, what about Debbie? So Debbie continued doing some skating afterwards, but in 1997 she became a surgeon. So she achieved. Hello, the... she hit the height of both careers. She did indeed. Unfortunately, later in her life, she has struggled with mental health issues. Mm. And the media has really not been sensitive towards that. Uh, and written stories about her that are really kind of terrible talking about her economic circumstances and mm. doing sensational headlines. Like, they, they talk a lot about how she lives in a trailer. And it's like, come on. Right. You know, because, you know, if she wasn't an Olympian, who cares? Right. Isn't that weird to still, like, go digging around and go, like, let me find some things to say about you who've done nothing to anyone. Let me just yeah. dig around and find some things to poke fun at you about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And this is like 2015, 2016 when they're doing this. Wow. You know, she continues to be painted by the same classist, racist, sexist, Uh capitalistic brush that has always, you know, been in Debbie's life. And it's a real bummer. So at this point, we're still, we're, we're, uh, you know, there's a portion of of this, of the media and then, of course, the world that not only push the narrative, but like want to consume the narrative that somebody who's achieved two things that most people have not ever achieved in their life or worked towards is still not good enough. Right. Exactly. You've made it to the world stage of athleticism and one of the most brilliant jobs in the world. And you're still gross in the eyes of people who are sitting there using the free Wi-Fi at Target parking lot and (laughs) eating hot Cheetos. Exactly. And there's no allowance in here for discussions about mental health. Like we only recently have started to talk about that in in terms of sports and like fame with sports, like with Simone Biles, Mm -hmm. Naomi Osaka, like 
and especially when it has to do with race as well. Also, let me say, I forgot to say, because she got the bronze medal, Debbie Thomas was the first black athlete to medal at a Winter Olympics. Wow. In anything, not just ice skating, but in any Winter Olympic sport. So she's, you know, groundbreaking for that. And she should be celebrated for that. And instead, Mm -hmm. we're like, what's going on? Let's look at your life. Yeah. Let's critique you and uh, and make a joke of you. Yeah. In the end, I think we all lose. <laughs> oh, yeah. In the end, you can be a surgeon and, and an Olympic, uh, you know, athlete, and, and people are still laughing at you because you're just still not doing enough for those who can't even do for themselves. Yeah. Here's what I think would make this right. Diet, Coke, Diet Coke has to make Debbie Thomas a spokesperson. <laughs> But can you imagine if it was Diet Dr. Pepper? Oh, yes. Oh, Diet Dr. my Pepper. gosh. 23 flavors. Come on. From something else in Sony Music Entertainment, this is Fierce Rivalries, hosted by me, Delta Work. And me, Kelsey Padgett. I also produce the show. Gabriella Santana is our associate producer. Caitlin Pierce is our editor. Our production coordinators are Sasonia Davenport and Tamika Balance Kolosny. Our theme music is by Allison Leighton Brown. Josh Gibbs and John Scott are our engineers. Our executive producers are Lizzie Jacobs, Tom Koenig, and Caitlin Pierce. TJ Raphael was our development producer. Love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time. 